Hi, I'm Nikki Schrera, and you're listening to The Jazz Session, the original jazz interview podcast. This is episode 591 for the 16th of March 2022. Vocalist Adani Agbabian is an experimental improviser, folk and sacred music singer, and pianist. As a vocalist, she has worked in new opera, dance, contemporary jazz, new music, and multimedia performance. In fact, I first met Arani a decade ago during a course at the School of Improvised Music in Brooklyn, New York. We remained in touch and met up again in Paris in 2014 when she was there studying ancient sacred music and I was just eating croissants and ogling Parisian architecture. Her sublime work with the Tigran Hermassian Quintet saw her touring internationally and lending her voice to several of his early recordings that really did put him on the map. In 2019, Adani made her leader debut on the storied ECM records with her album Bloom. We caught up and we took you all along with us. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, and welcome to the Jazz Session. Hi, how's it going, Nikki? (laughs) It's good. How are you? I'm doing really well. Just sitting here having my coffee. Okay, she has her coffee. (laughs) I have my tea. She gave a wave to the camera. And if this was a visual medium, then people would be able to see. I have a massive smile on my face because we were just catching up a little bit off air. And I've known Arani for so many years, over a decade. Yeah. Yes, over a decade. Um, But this isn't about our friendship, which is absolutely fascinating. It's about her as a musician and a vocalist and a pianist and a recording artist. And she has a new album that came out in 2019, which actually is not that long ago. And it's called Bloom and it came out on ECM Records. No big deal. And we're going to get into all of that and her musical collaborations and and probably more, knowing the two of us. (laughs) So first up, I want to ask you about your amazing influences, because I do think of you as being one of the most eclectic. And I guess we were just talking about this off air, but multinational vocalists, for sure, that I know. And I think that your background is perhaps very different to other jazz vocalists, certainly traditional jazz vocalists. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Nikki. That's very touching. Um, 
where am I supposed to start? Seriously? <laughs> well, I mean, I think my background just um, in terms of where my family's from is clearly the starting point, really. Um, Armenian descent from Western Anatolia, uh, family of, you know, well, my grandparents are genocide survivors. Um, they, the whole family on my father's side and mother's side, they, you know, were basically refugees in Syria and Lebanon. And then my parents met and came here to the U.S. to Los Angeles of all places. <laughs> and that's where I was born in Santa Monica. And um, yeah, but, you know, there's just been a mix of of that music, which my aunt and my mom like raised me on the music and the folklore, the legends and myths from my mother. Uh, she was a, a professional storyteller. And um, so, and then just schooling, you know, classical music. And I was just desperate as a like high schooler to understand improvisation because it wasn't really taught to me as a classical um, pianist at the time. But, you know, luckily I was also singing, um, taking music lessons with my aunt. And I think voice was, uh, you know, it's a little more of a free instrument if you ask me just because there's so much flexibility in what you can do with with your voice. Um, so slowly I just through self-discovery on the piano started figuring out like, what is, what is improvisation? I have no idea. I would literally, I would literally just put my hands on the keys and, you know, I was playing like Bach and Beethoven and Mozart, but I, I feel like I really didn't know. I didn't, I wasn't connecting my body and my ear to the music. It was very mechanical. So I would just sit there and like splat my hands on the, on the piano and, and just stuff would come out and, you know, it, it started there when I was like 15 and, and then through college and my master's and my master's, I, I think I learned how to understand or approach improvisation a little more. Um, and then I like to think that New York city was my DMA. So just being there and learning so much from so many amazing creative musicians, you know, like, like where we met at Sim, I really met through, uh, I met a lot of people through doing that um, workshop. Um, actually, I was helping organize the workshop, but I did it, I think for a few years. So I just heard all the workshops, you know, and and met so many amazing people, like obviously Ralph Alessi and then Andy Milne and Tony Malaby is very special to me as a player. Um, yeah, lo loads of other people. So yeah, I don't know. It just all like, you know, through, through that time, I was just constantly learning from different people and trying to teach myself, like, how do I unlock what it means to understand harmony and modes I mean, that's another thing we can talk about, modal music. But yeah, there's so much, you know. Well, I mean, we should mention for people, for listeners who don't know, Sim is the School of Improvised Music, which is was run, mm. I don't know if it still is, by Ralph Alessi, the trumpeter. And uh, it was based yeah. out of Brooklyn at the time. I don't know if they've moved to Main Island, Manhattan now. I, I actually need to get caught up. I know, me too. I haven't really like you know yeah because this was 2000 you meant you reminded me this was 2009 when we were there roundabout yeah so that is over a decade ago in our defense um we're not just senile but <laughs> I wanted to ask you with all of those influences and all of those different very different varied role models has the process of figuring out what you do and what kind of music you want to make and whether there are limits to what you're happy doing or if there aren't has that process been easy for you has it been uncomfortable and do you feel like you have a sense a better sense now of 
where you stand with all of your influences and all of your training and bringing everything together? Or do you still feel like it's just an ongoing, ever-changing beast, for lack of a better word? I mean, it definitely is and will be always ongoing. And I hope that it never will stop because the minute it stops, then I I just sense, a, I, I get a sense of like dread or boredom, you know? Um, but yeah, throughout it, I think there was always a sort of um, a line through the whole, you know, trajectory of my discoveries in music. Um, and that was just to communicate something deeply personal to the world um, and something that will be useful for other people in the sense of, you know, give them peace or give them like relaxation or like some sense of, oh, somebody knows how I feel or that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, and I, I do feel that I've, I have been able to, um, do that. Um, but now it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I came more from like a free jazz place and, and it, it, just naturally led me to pursuing songwriting more. Um, but I, I always want to have that sense of openness in my songs and, you know, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's the, the main, the, the root of it for me is to always have that feeling of, of openness, if that makes sense. <laughs> it definitely makes sense. I think the first time I became aware of you as a musician, because as you said, you were organize, helping to organize Sim and I was attending it and it was a very much an eye and ear opening experience for me. It's the first time I'd done any sort of foraying into free improvisation and, you know, hearing people like Taishan Sori and Vijay Iyer talk about it. It was mind blowing. And, uh, all I knew from that experience was that I'd made a, a new friend in you, but I didn't get to hear you sing. And then the first time I became aware of it was when you started working with your fellow Armenian, the jazz pianist Tigran Hamasian. Mm -hmm. And I was blown away. Your voice is just magnificent. Can you tell us about your work with Tigran, how it came to be? Oh, you mean that like how we met? Sure, how it started and the, you know, the first time where he said, come and sing my music in a musical setting. Yeah, sure. I mean, it was really through mutual friends. I think the, the bass player, uh, Sam Minai, who has been one of the bass players in the band for, you know, he was in the original quintet um, with Nate Wood and Ben Wendell and myself and Tigran. And he, you know, he, him and I went to CalArts together. So he knew me and I think he was just playing some jazz gigs with Tigran in town in LA. I don't remember where it was, but, um, and then there was another friend from another kind of time in my life who was like a promoter um, and he, he knew Tigran somehow. So I think from both of those people separately, Tigran had probably said to him, ah, I'm looking for a singer, da, 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 da. <laughs> You like that part? That, 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 I that, got that, that. that. I understood yeah. it. Is that Armenian? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's universal. Um, <laughs> so he had mentioned he needed a vocalist who could sing Armenian folk music, sacred music, but who could also improvise and also sing really hard, you know, contemporary jazz melodies that's not specific <laughs> at all Ernie that's super broad I know. a million people could fill that role <laughs> I know it was really it was really kind of meant to be you know so I went to this underground concert in a warehouse where Tigran was in the middle of this like really raw space just like pillars and like dust everywhere and then there was a piano and a sound system and we just did a, a song together. It was actually Chinares, which is on the very first album that we recorded with that band. And we had never played together, nothing. It just, I just walked on the, onto the quote unquote stage. 
and did that with him um and it just clicked immediately there was just like you know that musical chemistry so yeah then the next day he wrote to me and said okay we're gonna record an album and then we're gonna tour and that was it then the rest is history as they say yes and luckily well documented for all of us listeners <laughs> how many years was that stint that you were with him recording, touring, recording? I think it was like at the very beginning, it was, uh, well, I mean, there were different phase, phase, phrase? No, phases. <laughs> there were different phases of it. The first two, three years was, I think, the quintet, and then he did some solo albums, and then we got back together again for a, a, a reiteration of the quintet, I think. Um, and then we recorded, oh yeah, for the, we did the um, Shadow Theater, which was a really great album. I, I love that album. And then in the last couple years, I've also done some tracks for him, you know, and on his uh, more recent albums. So yeah, it's just been since 2009, like off and on, you know, and we've always had, we've always kept in touch and we're friends, so. from the experience of playing with him, recording with him. I remember us communicating at some point and you were in the studio. I think maybe you were in Paris recording with him and you were just like, I just, I have to go, I have to practice. And I, yeah. you know, my head is really just, just um, trying to absorb everything. Yeah, it if, was really intense. Yeah. And if you look back on it now, what are some of your kind of takeaways and maybe things that you've carried with you that have really helped you as you've moved into, you know, your new space and new chapter? Wow. Um, well, I mean, I, I really 
believe that that time in my life taught me almost everything, you know, in terms of, in terms of actually being on stage constantly. I mean, not constantly, you know, there's people who have much busier tour schedule than I, than I ever have. But for me, it was a big contrast to my previous life where I had, you know, basically performed as a student or, you know, and I had some professional engagements, but not on such a consistent basis. So it was really trial by fire in a lot of ways. I was kind of thrown into the situation, which I was capable of doing, but was also a lot of, you know, uh, learning about um, how to manage myself, like how to, you know, how to even do a sound check, like, what are you looking for? And I said, you know, that kind of thing. I didn't know how to do that. Um, so I learned a lot. I don't know. I mean, I learned a lot of things about my voice. I remember after the very first tour, it was, I think, just a 10 day tour in California. I felt like my voice was totally wrecked because the music was really hard, you know, and I didn't, I had the ear and I had sung in choirs and I, I knew what sounds needed to come out, but I didn't have the technique to sustain doing that night after night, right? So then I found a good voice coach in New York and, you know, worked with her for a few years. And so, yeah, just, it it made me have to address vocal issues and yeah, like, um, what's the word? <laughs> I don't know what the word, my vocabulary doesn't come to me. But just, you know, when you have to keep going, like endurance. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe if New York was your DMA, then then the the experience with Tigran was your like PhD plus dissertation. Well, that was at the same, it was at the oh, same, same time. time. Okay. Yeah, I was touring from New York to Europe mostly. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I moved to New York was because I knew I was going to be going to Europe a lot. And I didn't think that it was really you know, going to be very fun to fly from Los Angeles every time. So, yeah, no, yeah. I'll bet. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things we spoke about earlier than speaking of Europe was I asked you if you missed Europe and I told you that I don't really think of you. I forget until I speak to you that you are American yeah. and that you're in LA. And I didn't know you were born in Santa Monica, which is like so LA. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> And it's so funny to me because I, I there's something, I don't know, for me, there's something very European about you. And I don't know if it's because we've met up in Europe and England at various points, but you started talking about consolidating the idea of being in LA, but you are Armenian. And also, I guess the idea of nationality as we get older, you said it's something you didn't necessarily think about when you were younger identify Mm -hmm. with you saying that where as I've gotten older I thought well where am I from and and moving doesn't help certainly something that we've both done a fair amount of so Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on that kind of now at this point in time in terms of your heritage uh I should mention that you sing a lot of wordless intricate stuff great word stuff with Tigran but you also sing in Armenian together and I'll play some of that and I know that that's a big part of your identity, yeah. musically and otherwise. I mean, there's so much there, Nikki. Um, I was telling you before we uh, started the recording just that um, I feel very connected to my ancestral land. Uh, when I went to Armenia in 2018, um, I felt this very specific feeling, like on a you know, in a bodily level wow, my DNA is really connected to this land. Okay. So, and I'd never, I never knew that that kind of feeling could exist growing up in California, which, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't think twice about it. This is my home, you know? I mean, I knew, as I said earlier, that this was not my ancestral land, but I didn't know that there was the possibility of feeling that in my body. So, um, yeah, I don't feel very Californian, even though I very much am, but on a deeper level, I really feel very Armenian. Um, and I think part of that is just the way my family, uh, raised me because they were really conscious of, 
teaching me the language, teaching me the heritage, the, the music. Like my mom and my aunt were a really big part of that. Um, and I feel very strongly now that it's something I definitely want to pass on to other people, whoever's interested. And I've actually had students from Europe, you know, non-Armenians who've come to me to learn Armenian liturgical chant or, or just not necessarily specifically that, but the sounds of Armenian modal music, uh, which is, you know, it's an untempered tuning. So it has a different uh, quality. The pitches have different quality. So yeah, so it's just something really special to me. It's, you know, Armenia, especially in the last hundred, you know, let's say, I don't know, more than hundred years has been very threatened in recent history and is continuing to be threatened now, sadly. Um, so, you know, when we carry these things in our hearts and in our musical ears, I think that is something really it's special beyond special, but you know, that's where, you know, our heritage can survive is through those um, artistic traditions. And tell me when we saw each other in Paris and I did make a very conscious note to say in the, the notes for this episode that you were there with scholarly pursuits, studying, bettering yourself. I was just there sampling all the hipster coffee shops and finding the best patisserie. Um, so, you know, it tells you a lot about our varying states of maturity then and probably now. But I did know that you were there to study with a specific teacher. So can, can you tell us about what you were doing in Paris? Aside from eating croissants with me when I yes. distracted you. Croissants and cappuccinos. <laughs> But yeah, I was there. I mean, I wouldn't call it necessarily scholarly because I don't consider myself a scholar, but I'm a, a, a musician on a constant search. And I had been on a search for since I was quite young, probably my, my late-ish teens, uh, to find someone who could teach me the sounds of Armenian traditional music because I knew from archival recordings. I'm like, there's no way that villagers were singing in the same way that, you know, uh, performers of art music, you know, European art music were singing, there's no way. And um, there is a kind of a European influence of Armenian music as well, which I had also been exposed to, but I was looking for the other one, the, the one connected to people's daily lives, you know, to their spiritual lives. Um, and so, I found a master singer in Paris through Tigran again. Tigran's just been really, you know, so he's such a hard worker and he he always meets such interesting people. And so, but it turns out this master singer, Adam, had known my family too for many years. And I didn't know because it was my my family in France. So I didn't know I was not there often enough to have met him. Anyway, so yeah, I applied for a grant and I was I was awarded the grant, which is an amazing thing. And he was also very happy that he had a, a student who was so committed and and I and he taught me and him and his wife, Virginia, um, taught me the sound, the sound world of Armenian liturgical chant and also in some cases folk music. And they, there is a crossover, so. Yeah, it was an amazing experience and it 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 was really fulfilling. You know, it's been now seven years that I, I just talked to them two days ago, actually. And um, they're like a second family to me. I lived with them for those three months. So it was a very special time. I wish I'd appreciated more and asked you more questions when I saw you in Paris at the time. I was just like, so which croissant joint are we hitting up today? <laughs> no, you did ask me, Nikki. You definitely did ask me what I was doing. Um, but it, yeah, in, in the sense of an old fashioned kind of apprenticeship, you know, that's, that's the feeling I got. And it was, it was a good thing. It was really good.
Hello, a quick note from me, Nikki, to tell you how you can best support the jazz session if that's something that tickles your fancy. This podcast is made possible thanks to the support of listeners who are so enthused by these conversations that they head over to Patreon to join the Jazz Session's Patreon page. They become patrons. If you go to thejazzsession.com slash join, that's thejazzsession.com slash join, it will link you to the Patreon page and you'll be able to find out more about how you can become a member for as little as $5 per month today. So please do head over to that link if that sounds interesting and enticing to you. There are all sorts of perks to be had and there are only two tiers of membership, $5 a month or $10 a month. Take your pick. The other way that you can support the podcast is by rating or reviewing the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This takes a matter of seconds, rating it to be specific, and it helps with the podcast's visibility on web pages, in searches. It helps other folks who might be interested in these conversations find the podcast. Really important and invaluable in the world of podcasting. The other way you can support this show is by tweeting, Facebooking or Instagramming about the show at large or about specific episodes that you know you really enjoy so please do feel free to give the show a shout out and if you tag the jazz session on any of those social media platforms I'll be sure to repost your wonderful praise and gladly so so thank you for listening and for any support that you may show the podcast now or in the near future now back to my conversation with Arnie. And if we move on, there was your debut album, Kissy Bag, the name of which is just <laughs> so <laughs> fabulous. Uh, and people can hear that. It's out. It's online. You can go and hear yeah. Arani on Kissy Bag. So, But you self-released that because I remember when that came out and I think we chatted about like publicists and all of that. Mm-hmm. And then we jump from that to Bloom, mm-hmm. your ECM leader debut. Tell us. <laughs> How did Bloom come to blossom? I can't believe I said that. I did, though. Poetic. That's a nice, that was a very poetic (laughs) sentence. I like that. Um, Well, I was on tour with Tigran, and we were in Paris and had a couple days off. And there was an ECM CD release concert happening at, I think, Café de la Danse which you've been there, I'm sure. It's a wonderful venue. If they don't have croissants and cappuccinos, I don't think I've been there. Actually, no. <laughs> very, I'm very focused, Ernie. I don't yeah. know what to tell you. I know. You're very goal-oriented. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to that concert uh, with Arthur Natik, the drummer from our band, and and we met uh, Manfred Eicher there, and uh, he was interested in he said oh I've seen your singing and we should do something and that was like the first thing he said to me so I was like okay (laughs) you know so here's this totally legendary producer you know interested in working with me so it basically went from there I think it took I don't know maybe three years after that meeting to get into did he follow up with you oh yeah yeah definitely yeah yeah of course. Yeah. No, we were talking a lot in those few years. Um, but, you know, I had I had just released Kissy Bag. So it takes for me, I'm not like someone who's a prolific writer. Like it takes me time to to develop new material. And, um, you know, as maybe you've maybe some of the listeners have noticed if you listen to my music, it's very much the complete opposite energy of like Tigran's music. It's very slow moving. So I'm the same way. I am very slow moving. And um, so it took me a while to get the material together and then, you know, getting the date set and all that stuff. So yeah, um, that's basically the story. (laughs) That's amazing. It's like a movie. It is like everything in my life has been like a movie. It's I feel really blessed in that sense. Yeah, no, it's well deserved too. So the fact that you knew then, because it's quite a 
novelty to go into the experience of writing and collecting material for an album to know where that album is going to land. Because so often we collect, we gather, we record, and then we try and find a home. We try and find some sort of, you know, support, whether it's label or licensing for that recording, right? So it's very different and I would think a real kind of luxury if it's something like ECM with someone like Manfred at the helm. Did that change the way that you went about writing the new material and editing and self-editing did you send him anything at any point in that process before actually recording it or not honestly I don't think that I really did I think we just talked about um the music and no I wouldn't say that I edited anything um it was a really natural process and I I think that that made me feel really comfortable even to this day that ECM is like my home um you know because I don't feel like I have to change myself or my music for them so I I'm really happy about that yeah I mean I do think it's a really great match Adani and when you I remember when you posted something on Facebook and I thought oh my gosh this is so exciting but it also just felt so incredibly obvious you know I was just like yeah that's that's so her home and they're such a good fit for her and what was the experience then because you recorded the album in Switzerland yes yes we did Mm -hmm. so what was that like because I you know you've seen pictures of Manfred being in the studio with other artists or you've seen him pop up on you know the odd EPK in video and you must have just thought oh he he's producing me I'm working with him today I was definitely, definitely nervous. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely nervous. It was my first solo record that would be, you know, the whole world would hear. I mean, Kissy Bag, it's super underground. I don't, I think I only have like a few CDs left. Like it's out of print. It's on SoundCloud, you know. Um, but I knew this would be going out to the greater population. Um, so yes, I was quite nervous, but thinking back, I actually think that I wasn't as prepared as I should have been. I know it sounds weird to say that, but you know, it's in retrospect and we learn things in retrospect. So, um, but the recording went really well, you know, uh, aside from my nerves. <laughs> Did you enjoy the process? I did. Beyond my nerves, yes. <laughs> and, and what was what was he like as a producer? Um, with you, because I'm I'm sure he's different with different people. Mm-hmm. He was very focused. Um, I had been to one other session as well to check out the studio where I was going to be recording. Um, he was just very calm and he he's an amazing listener. He has an incredible ear, very sensitive musician. Um, so I'm very focused. I mean, it was just, you know, two days and then third day was like half day and then mix and then master and it's over. So it's extremely focused. Yeah. That's a quick turnaround. Yeah. There's no dilly-dallying. Were you involved in the mixing or did you hand that over? I mean, I was there, but I obviously let the producer and engineer do what they're best at doing. I'll take care of my own portion. But yeah, I I mean, I may have made a comment here or there, but I was mostly listening. And of course I was involved in the process, but I let them lead it. Um, That's what they're there for, so. Patience is more important now. Patience is more important now. Patience is more important now. Patience is more.
And is there another album in the works? I am writing, yes, but I do not have a date yet to record. <laughs> when you record, mm -hmm. what will you do differently in the studio and in the recording process, if anything, mm -hmm. that you learnt from looking back on the first studio session? Yeah, sure. I think this album is going to be less improvised music, whereas I improvised more on Bloom. Uh, I did have written material too, but I had planned to do several improvisations as well. Um, and this time I'm, I'm writing more material. So it's gonna be probably more composed. There are improvised elements still, but there always will be in my music but I, I really have gotten more into uh, songwriting, like I had said previously. So yeah, I think it's gonna be an interesting experience for me, new experience. <laughs> Which songwriters are you enjoying uh, in general or now? Oh gosh, I mean, I'll be really honest with you. I don't listen to too much music. Mm. Um, Perhaps it's part of living in the 21st century and just being constantly inundated with noise. <laughs> I prefer silence to music a lot of the time. Um, That's very ECM of you, Arnie. You're right on brand. <laughs> I know, right? I know. I think that was their, their like, what do you call it? Mantra for a time. No, but it is very, I will say it is commonplace for musicians to not listen to a lot of music. Uh, yeah. It, just because of the, what we do and it's very normal but who do you like not necessarily who are you listening to now but you know are there are there writers that you love whether they're poets or songwriters or composers arrangers any genre yeah I mean I'm I'm influenced by you know literature poetry scripture um I mean, and some things that are completely shocking to people sometimes I'll post something on my social media like a a song from I, I think I, I posted something uh from the band Toto you know that band yeah <laughs> yeah and and I got a reply like I can't believe a musician like you would <laughs> would like this song and I said but why not the chorus is absolutely beautiful yeah uh or or another person like I really love Dolly Parton mm. you know I good musicians are good musicians and I don't I've never been one to discriminate so I think people need to listen on it maybe deeper levels sometimes than appearances you know yeah I would agree with you I, and especially when it comes to Dolly Parton I would say she's actually a lot deeper than people give her credit for 
Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Raging feminist. She's yeah. <laughs> she's got a she's got a stance. She's got a lot yeah. to say. The other thing I wanted to ask you is what do you love about improvising? Um, I love hearing the decay of the sound. I love listening to um yeah, the sound just happening throughout time and staying with the sound as it decays and transforms and it sort of calls me to the next thing what a beautiful answer it's very poetic (laughs) well i look forward to hearing the next album and the next and the next and i just can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast and chatting to the jazz session and listeners and to me it's been my pleasure nikki and it's so great to see you I know. Here's we'll raise our mugs, Arnie's with coffee and mine with very strong tea, to our next meetup, which hopefully will be in Paris. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. A big thank you to this week's guest, vocalist Araniag Babian. Her album Bloom is out now wherever you buy your music. And as usual, I will make a list in the show notes for the episode of all the tracks that were played and any links that were mentioned. 
A huge thank you to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music of this show. You're welcome to follow The Jazz Session on Twitter at Jazz Sesh and on Facebook and Instagram at The Jazz Session. There is also a YouTube page to which you can subscribe if you want to watch video excerpts of my conversations with The Jazz Session's guests. A huge thank you to the patrons over at thejazzsession.com slash join. Head there today if you want to become a Patreon member and thank you to the listeners for tuning in and to any support that you may shower upon this show whether it's telling a friend family or four-legged pal about how much you enjoy these conversations my name is nikki schrerer and i will see you next week for another conversation with an astounding jazz musician about their music and their process here on the jazz session <laughs>